Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James and Dan from Georgia. This is another episode of Genesis to Revelation. Today is August 28, 2021, and we're just going to jump right into it today because we have, uh, let's see, how many chapters? There's 40 chapters in Exodus, and we'll see if we can get through all of those uh, chapters today. And uh, what that's actually five chapters, which is... uh, uh, we may or may not get through all of them, but uh, Dan, let's give it a shot, okay? Let's go. Chapter mm-hmm. 36. Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom Yahweh put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that Yahweh had commanded. Okay, they were, craftsmen. Called, they were craftsmen, in other words, yeah. Um, and Moses called... Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart Yahweh had put wisdom and even everyone whose heart had stirred him up to come unto work to do it. And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary, came every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which Yahweh commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. And every wise-hearted man among them that wrought the work of the tabernacle made ten curtains of fine twine linen, and blue and purple and scarlet, with cherubims of cunning work made he them. The length of one curtain was twenty and eight cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits. The curtains were all of one size." And he coupled the five curtains one unto another, and the other five curtains he coupled one unto another. And he made loops of blue on the edge of one curtain from the selvage in the coupling. Likewise, he made it the uttermost side of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops made he in one curtain, and fifty loops made he in the edge of the curtain, which was in the coupling of the second. The loops held one curtain to another. And he made fifty tashes of gold, and he coupled the curtains one unto another with the tashes, so it became one tabernacle. And he made curtains of goat's hair for the tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains he made them. The length of one curtain was thirty cubits, and four cubits was the breadth of one curtain. The eleven curtains were of one size. And he coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And he made 50 loops upon the uttermost edge of the curtain in the coupling, and 50 loops made he upon the edge of the curtain, which coupleth the second. And he made 50 tashes of brass to couple the tent together, that it might be one. And he made a covering for the tent of ram skin dyed red, and a covering of badger skins above that. And he made boards for the tabernacle of shittim wood standing up. The length of a board was ten cubits, and the breadth of a board one cubit and a half. One board had two tenons, equally distant one from another. Thus did he make for all the boards of the tabernacle. 
And he made boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side southward. And 40 sockets of silver he made under the 20 boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons, and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. <clears throat> and for the other side of the tabernacle, which is toward the north corner, he made 20 boards. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. And for the sides of the tabernacle westward, he made six boards. And two boards made he for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides. And they were coupled beneath and coupled together at the head thereof to one ring. Thus he did to both of them in both the corners. And there were eight boards, and their sockets were sixteen sockets of silver. Under every board, two sockets. <clears throat> and he made bars of shittim wood, five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle for the sides westward. And he made the middle bar to shoot through the boards from one from the one end to the other. And he overlaid the boards with gold <clears throat> and made their rings of gold to be places for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. And he made a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen with cherubims made he it of cunning work. And he made thereunto four pillars of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold and he cast them four sockets of silver. And he made it hanging for the tabernacle door of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of needlework and the five pillars of it with their hooks. And he overlaid their chapiters and their fillets with gold, but their five sockets were of brass. And that concludes chapter 36. Okay, well, it's very interesting that uh, they would have all of this material and obviously they would have to have a lot of um, tools to uh, fashion all of these items in the desert. And so, but uh, maybe the desert wasn't so much a desert in these days. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it was more lush because uh, they obviously had to get all this wood from somewhere. Okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, chances are that whole area uh, near Mount Sinai, and we, we picture it as being a, a rocky desert with not much there, with not much plant life at all. It was probably somewhat different in those days. It probably was mm -hmm. more well watered and had forests and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, otherwise, you know, where would all this stuff come from? Okay. So, uh, yeah. So let's see what else they do. Yeah, so uh, quite an elaborate tabernacle, quite an, a big old <clears throat> tent, a movable tent that they had to uh, break down, move around, just just like a rock and roll band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going from mm -hmm. one town to another. All right. Okay, chapter 37. <clears throat> and Bezalel made the ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half was the length of it, and a cubit and a half the breadth of it, and a cubit and a half the height of it. And he laid it, and he overlaid it with pure gold within and without, and made a crown of gold to it round about. And he cast for it four rings of gold to be set by the four corners of it, even two rings upon the one side of it, and two rings upon the other side of it. And he made staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. And he put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark to bear the ark. And he made the mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was the length thereof and one cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And he made two cherubims of gold beaten out of one piece. He made, made he them on the two ends of the mercy seat. 
one cherub on the inside of one cherub on the end on this side and another cherub on the other end on that side out of the mercy seat made he the cherubims on the two ends thereof and the cherubim spread out their wings on high and covered with their wings over the mercy seat with their faces one to another even to the mercy seat even to the mercy seatward were the faces of the cherubims and he made the table of shittim wood two cubits was the length thereof and a cubit the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half the height thereof and he overlaid it with pure gold and made thereunto a crown of gold round about and he made thereunto a border of an hand breadth round about and made a crown of gold for the border thereof round about and he cast it four rings of gold and put the rings upon the four corners that were in the four feet thereof over against the border were the rings the places for the staves to bear the table and he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold to bear the table and he made the vessels which were upon the table his dishes and his spoons and his bowls and his covers to cover with all of pure gold and he made the candlestick of pure gold of beaten work made he the candlestick his shaft and his branch his bowls his knops and his flowers were of the same and six branches going out of the sides thereof three branches of the candlestick out of the one side thereof and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side thereof three bowls made after the fashion of almonds in one branch a knot and a flower and three bowls made like almonds in another branch a knot and a flower so throughout the six branches going out of the candlestick and in the candlestick were four bowls made like almonds his knots and his flowers and a knot under two branches of the same and a knot under two branches of the same and a knot under two branches of the same according to the six branches going out of it their knots and their branches were of the same all of it was one beaten work of pure gold mm. and he made his seven lamps and his snuffers and his snuff dishes of pure gold of a talent of pure gold made he it and all the vessels thereof and he made the incense altar of shittim wood the length of it was a cubit and the breadth of it a cubit it was four square and two cubits was the height of it the horns thereof were of the same and he overlaid it with pure gold both on the top of it and the sides thereof round about and the horns of it also he made unto it a crown of gold round about and he made two rings of gold for it under the crown thereof by the two corners of it upon the two sides thereof to be places for the staves to bear it withal and he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold and he made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the apothecary end of chapter 37 okay so we're told in the earlier parts of exodus that the israelites either beg borrow or stole gold and other items from their egyptian friends and neighbors right uh, and uh, th this is in payment for all of the slave labor that they had done in Egypt what, for, well, not quite 400 years. So apparently they had uh, lots of gold they were carrying around, uh, and they must have been able to make uh, ovens, you know, furnaces out in the desert. You could probably do that easily enough with the sto all the stones there are. But, uh, you know, all this wood, and uh, as a, uh, 
as the uh, Strong's Concordance says, I just put a link uh, to the acacia tree in, in your chat area, Dan. Yeah. So, yeah, why don't we pick, because uh, there must have been a lot of acacia trees at uh, at Sinai, and indeed, that's what this article tells us. Uh, uh, go ahead and pick it up. I think this was, uh, would be interesting. Okay. <clears throat> the name of this article is A Tree Suitable for God's Presence. Um, and we begin at Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Oh, wait. No, mm-hmm. never mind. Okay. <clears throat> After the Israelites' exodus from Egypt, when they were encamped at the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses was given detailed instructions to build a mishkan, a dwelling place with its furnishings, and the Ark of the Covenant, all to be constructed of acacia wood. By the, the way, by the way, uh, uh, Dan John says the word mishkan is the uh, origination of the word Michigan, the great oh, state okay. of Michigan. <laughs> all right, mishkan, which means also means sanctuary. Okay. The Mishkan, a portable sanctuary, would serve as a visible, tangible symbol of God's presence in the midst of the people and a sacred space for for encountering the divine. Several species of acacia were common and accessible on the Sinai Peninsula, but only acacia radiana is suitable for construction. This thorny tree has an impressive umbrella shape, a single trunk with a broad and flat crown. The bark is brown-reddish, and the leaves are small to conserve water. Highly resistant to drought, it grows deep roots and uses water stores that other plants cannot reach. Because the tree grows slowly, the wood is hard and dense, resistant to water and insect damage. Hmm. Acacia wood is beautiful and nearly indestructible, well-suited for carrying the mishkan as the Israelites sojourned in the wilderness and moved on into Canaan. Yeah, well, when they needed chariots, <clears throat> chariots of acacia wood too. Very interesting. So this uh, apparently this is the only uh, tree that's suitable for construction in the area. Very interesting. Yeah, please continue. The Latin word for sacred gives us the word sanctuary, a place of refuge, a quiet place for reflection and growth, where we can restore our connection with the holy and nourish our sense of self. In our homes, our gardens, and our community, we can create spaces that open us to the possibility that the infinite is seeking us. Yeah, we hope so. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the like, and like the firmly rooted acacia in the wilderness, we can draw our deepest sustenance from the old wise earth, our sanctuary as we journey in the vastness of the universe. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Very poetic language in the last <laughs> paragraph, yeah. not related to acacia trees at all. All right. So very good. So uh, uh, knowing the, uh, what do you call it, the flora around uh, Mount Sinai is very interesting. Uh, but uh, I still think it was uh, much, I wouldn't say lush, but there was a lot more vegetation around the area in those days. Okay. So, all right. Chapter uh, 38. That had to be for them yeah. to have all those materials. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Chapter 38, and he made the altar of burnt offering of shittim wood. Five cubits was the length thereof and five cubits the breadth thereof. It was four square and three cubits the height thereof. And he made the horns thereof on the four corners of it. The horns thereof were of the same and he overlaid it with brass. <clears throat> and he made all the vessels of the altar 
the pots and the shovels and the basins and the flesh hooks and the fire pans, all the vessels thereof made he of brass. And he made for the altar a brazen grate of network under the compass thereof beneath unto the midst of it. And he cast four rings of the four ends of the gates of the brass to be places for the staves. <clears throat> it's a grate. It says the grate, not gates. Great. So great. I'm sorry. Apparently, okay. this is a, a screen to catch cinders. <clears throat> uh, I'm not sure. Something like that. Back to you. Okay. Verse 6. And he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with brass. And he put the staves into the rings on the sides of the altar to bear it with all. He made the altar hollow with boards. And he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Oh, no. Vanity. (laughs) (laughs) Brass looking glasses so they could check themselves out in their brass mirror. So they had everything. Wow. What, what, what could they need in the desert, right? <laughs> yeah. Sounds yeah. like they didn't travel anywhere, does it? I right. Mean, Hardly at all. Probably just, uh, well, I think the account is they kind of traveled in circles <laughs> for 40 <yeah>. years. <laughs> 40 <Right>? years. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of like what's happening to us now, traveling in circles under COVID. Uh-huh. Well, one from one hospital to the next. But I'm, I'm avoiding hospitals like the plague, because that's what they are. They're full of plague. You know, I hear they're laying off nurses. Yes. Now. Yeah. And, and, you know, just last year, did we have this, this you know, pandemic where all these people were dying and having to go to the hospitals. And, you know, now they're having to lay them off. Mm-hmm. Well, who needs oh, nurses when uh, the Rothsch- uh, Rothschild Rockefeller establishment pays you just for $9,000 for a diagnosis? Who? How many employees do you need to make a diagnosis? And then $39,000 for a ventilator. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, it's certainly it, not it's certainly I not the customers paying for all that stuff. Back to you. Uh, well, I was going to say, I think it's $13,000 okay. for a positive diagnosis and right. 39000 for a ventilator. But regardless, okay. yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, that's ma- more Masonic numbers. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 13 and 39. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Where did they come up with those numbers from? Yeah. Did they just come out with it out of the clear blue or, you know? Right. No, no, that's uh, all has occult significance. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's, there's a lot of websites online uh, and vi- videos that do YouTube videos on uh, occult numerology and the Freemasons. It's very interesting stuff. Yeah. Yep. All right. <clears throat> Verse 9, chapter 38. And he made the court on the south side southward. The hangings of the court were of fine twine linen, a hundred cubits. Their pillars were 20 and their brazen sockets 20. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the north side, the hangings were a hundred cubits. Their pillars were 20 and their sockets of brass 20. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. And for the west side were hangings of 50 cubits. Their pillars 10 and their sockets 10, the hooks of the pillars and the fillets of silver, their fillets of silver. And for the east side, eastward, 50 cubits. The hangings of the one side of the gate were 15 cubits, their pillars three, and their sockets three. Okay, apparently a fillet is a fence rail that connects the posts, so what we would call today a top rail. Okay, 
It, and the it rail that you yeah. grab onto when you're jumping over a fence. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or, or, or failing to, to jump over <laughs> the fence. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, it's obvious all this stuff was meant to be assembled and disassembled in, in quick time. Back to you. Yeah. All right. Verse mm-hmm. 15. And for the other side of the court gate, on this hand and that hand, were hangings of 15 cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. All the hangings of the court round about were of fine twined linen, and the sockets for the pillars were of brass, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver, and the overlaying of their chapters of silver. And all the pillars of the court were filleted with silver. Wow. Okay, they had all kinds of uh, precious metal uh, with them. And uh, obviously they had craftsmen. I guess there was they were doing more than making mud bricks <laughs> in Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, you know these people didn't learn this stuff overnight. They had to bring their skill with them, and so and so they did. And uh, the interesting here is they were the people were just happy to give. Uh, they were. I guess maybe it's pretty boring living in the desert. So <laughs> when, <laughs> when Moses says. Bring me your stuff. Oh, yeah, we got something to do now. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Verse 18. And the hanging for the gate of the court was needlework of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. And 20 cubits was the length. And the height and the breadth was five cubits, answerable to the hangings of the court. And their pillars were four and their sockets of brass four their hooks of silver, and the overlaying of their chapters and their fillets of silver. And all the pins of the tabernacle and of the court round about were of brass. This so, is the sum. So they would have, uh, and brass, I believe, is a part copper. It's made of copper and some other substance. I forget what it is. But uh, so they would have had to have a, a plentiful supply, uh, much of which they brought with them, but maybe... There's uh, mines around uh, Mount Sinai as well. Uh, let me check that out because, uh, man, it's, it's this is a lot of uh, material. I mean, uh, the, the construction of the tent with its uh, inner and outer courts, uh, all f- a fabric uh, material. I mean, that's a huge, uh, a lot of a lot of a tent material to be carrying around uh, in, in the desert. But of course, they, they had the manpower for sure. But uh, this is quite an extensive operation here because you know, we glossed over this the first time we read through it. But now uh, I'm saying this is a lot of hard work <laughs> for people to do. So uh, uh, kudos to all these Israelites for doing all this hard work. Back to you. It, yeah, these were skilled laborers. That's they right. Just just um, slaves like, you know, you, yeah. we have imagined slaves to be today. They were just, actually skilled yeah yeah they, they had to uh working in egypt for all the construction projects they, they had to have learned different trades yeah mm-hmm. verse 21 this is the sum of the tabernacle even of the tabernacle of testimony as it was counted according to the commandment of moses for the service of the levites by the hand of ithamar son to aaron the priest and bezalel the son of uri the son of Hur of the tribe of judah made all that Yahweh commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, son of Ahesimach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and a cunning workman, and an embroider in blue and in purple and in scarlet and of fine linen. All the gold that was occupied for the work 
for the work in all the work of the holy place, even of the gold of the offering, was twenty and nine talents and seven hundred and thirty shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. And the silver of them that were numbered of the congregation was a hundred talents and a thousand seven hundred and three score and fifteen shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca for every man, that is, half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary for every one that want, went to be numbered from 20 years old and upward for 600,000 and 3,550 men. And of the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the sockets of the veil, a hundred sockets of the hundred talents, a talent for a socket. And of the thousand seven hundred seventy and five shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their chapters and filleted them. And the brass of the offering was seventy talents and two thousand and four hundred shekels. And therewith he made the sockets to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the brazen altar and the brazen grate for it and all the vessels of the altar and the sockets of the court round about and the sockets of the court gate and all the pins of the tabernacle, and all the pins of the court round about. End of chapter 38. Okay, all right. Well, it turns out my speculation was correct. Uh, Sinai, Sarabit el-Kadim, the Sinai Peninsula between Egypt and Western Asia is one of the main copper mining regions for ancient Egypt. The most important site is Sarabit el-Kadim, where copper and malachite, let me see what malachite is, Malachite, a green hydrous copper carbonate mineral. It occurs both in the eastern desert of Egypt and in Sinai. The pre, in pre-dynastic burials, lumps of ore have been found besides pallets and grinding pebbles, presumably for grinding into powder to be used as green eye paint. Galena is a mineral consisting of lead sulfide. Galena is often found in Nakata and early dynastic tombs. It has a gray-black metallic hue. Sources are known along the coast of the Red Sea, but also inland in the eastern desert region and in the area of Aswan. Ancient working at one source, Gebel Tzait, on the Red Sea, is confirmed by the presence of a shrine with votive offerings and monuments. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, Galena. And then Pyrolusite, manganese oxide, Pyrolusite is a steel grade of black mineral which was ground in pre-dynastic Egypt for use as eye paint. Man, you can't get away from cosmetics. <laughs> <laughs> in the Middle Kingdom, about 2025 to 1700 BC, it was used for tomb paintings and in the New Kingdom for the decoration of pottery. It is very common in Egypt. So these uh, materials, um, let me get back to the original article here. So it shows that, uh, uh, let's see, what's, uh, I forget where, oh yeah, here's the link, uh, where copper and malachite was for, for so there's three, three different versions of malachite. There was a temple for Hathor, mistress of turquoise, built in the Middle Kingdom, and still important in the New Kingdom, about 1550 to 1069 BC. Finds include private and royal stele, and many votive offerings, mostly from the New Kingdom. So, and it has photographs of these various minerals okay so th that also was present in sinai 
So, uh, and they obviously learned to trade while they were slaves in Egypt. Okay, so everything dovetails. I mean, this is accurate history, folks. All right, all the proof in the world that this is not a the Bible is not fiction. It's mm-hmm. real history. Okay, back to you. Chapter thirty-nine, and of the blue and purple and scarlet, they made cloths of service to do service in the holy place. And they made the holy garments for Aaron, as Yahweh commanded Moses. And he made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen. And they did beat the gold into thin plates, and cut it into wires, to work it in the blue, and in the purple, and in the scarlet, and in the fine linen with cunning work. Okay. They made... uh, Just quickly, the ephod... uh, Apparently, it's a, a kind of a, oh, what's the term today? It's kind of like a, a it, it's an open, uh, the, the shoulders are open. It's kind of like a, a jacket with open uh, shoulders for your arms, and it's also considered to be a girdle. So it's a short, a real short jacket of some kind. Uh, of uh, Let's see, purple, scarlet, and fine twined linen. I'm still looking for the red, white, and blue <laughs> because there's a verse in the scripture that talks about red, white, and blue because those are the colors of America, but haven't found them yet. So anyway, uh, oh, a, a, a tunic? Is that what they used to be called? Anyway, it's a short jacket uh, worn in old times. You know, we, hardly anybody, although you see um, women wearing that type of jacket uh, in modern times as well. Back to you. Verse 4, <clears throat> they made shoulder pieces for it. To couple it together, by the two edges was it coupled together. And the curious girdle of his ephod that was upon it was of the same, according to the work thereof, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen, as Yahweh commanded Moses. <clears throat> okay. And they wrought on it a curious girdle. <laughs> a curious girdle is a belt or strap as being interlaced. So I, what I is? guess... Uh, it's a, a belt or a girdle uh, made of interlaced material. So I, I guess the interlacing was pretty evident, you know, uh, on the belt. Okay, it's a belt. Okay. <clears throat> and they wrought onyx stones enclosed in ouches of gold, graven as signets are graven with the names of the children of Israel. And he put them on the shoulders of the ephod, that they should be stones for a memorial to the children of Israel as Yahweh commanded Moses. And he made the breastplate of cunning work, like the work of the ephod, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen. It was four square. They made the breastplate double. A span was the length thereof, and a span the breadth thereof being doubled. And they set it in four rows of stones. The first row was a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This was the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a ligure, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in ouches of gold in their enclosings. Ouches? And the st- <laughs> oh, I got to look that Ouches. Way. A brocade. <clears throat> a brocade, a setting. Okay. And the uh, span, apparently, is the hands where you spread your fingers out. Fan your fingers out. That is what they're calling a span. Okay, so all of these, this terminology is very archaic. So we have to look up practically every other word to know what it means. All right. <laughs> okay. Verse fourteen, 
And the stones were according to the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of the signet, every one with his name, according to the twelve tribes. And they made upon the breastplate chains at the ends of wreath and work of pure gold. And they made two ouches of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings in the two ends of the breastplate. And they put the two wreathen chains of gold in the two rings on the ends of the breastplate. And the two ends of the two wreathen chains they fastened in the two ouches and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. And they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate upon the border of it, which was on the side of the ephod inward. And they made two other golden rings and put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath toward the forefront, toward the forepart of it over against the other coupling thereof above the curious girdle of the ephod. And they did bind the breastplate by his rings unto the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue, that it might be above the curious girdle of the ephod, and that the breastplate might not be loosed from the ephod as, the, as Yahweh commanded Moses. And he made the robe of the ephod of woven work, <clears throat> all of blue. And there was a hole in the midst of the robe, as in the hole of a habergian, with a band round about the hole, that it should not rend. And they made upon the hems of the robe pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet and twined linen. And they made bales of pure gold, and put the bales between the linen and linen breeches of fine twined linen. <clears throat> and a girdle of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet of needlework, as Yahweh commanded Moses. Now, I wonder if it would be worth it to go over there with a metal detector. That <laughs> <laughs> might not be a bad idea. <laughs> right, right. Uh, okay, but unfortunately, you'd, have to, you'd probably have to land at Tel Aviv. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's got to be evidence of all of this stuff laying around the entire Sinai area, right? Mm -hmm. But it's been off limits for, I don't know, millennia, really. Okay. It's just recently that archaeologists have been allowed into that territory to investigate. And uh, thanks to Ron Wyatt, he's the one that uh, opened that, you know, he discovered all this stuff. And uh, he opened the door, so to speak, for other uh, researchers to go in and find all these things. Did proving... he pass away? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, verse 30. And they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote it upon and wrote upon it a writing like to the engravings of a signet, holiness to Yahweh. And they tied unto it a lace of blue to fasten it on high upon the meter as Yahweh commanded Moses. Thus was all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation finished. And the children of Israel did according to all that Yahweh commanded Moses. So did they. And they brought the tabernacle unto Moses, the tent, and all his furniture, his tashes, his boards, his bars, and his pillars, and his sockets. And the covering of ram skins dyed red, and the, re and the covering of badger skins, and the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony, and the staves thereof, and the mercy seat, the table, and all the vessels thereof, and the showbread. Ah, here we come, finally encounter showbread. Okay, which is, because uh, it looks like we're going to get done with uh, Exodus uh, chapter 2, I mean Exodus, the book of Exodus today. So, um, and we had talked about showbread briefly last time. Well, let me see if I can find an article 
about that's the bread with the gold in it right that's right let me see if i can because uh we're surely gonna have enough time to discuss that so please continue okay verse 37 the pure candlestick with the lamps thereof even with the lamps to be set in order and all the vessels thereof and the oil for the light and the golden altar and the anointing oil and the sweet incense and the hanging for the tabernacle door the brazen altar and his grate of brass his staves and all his vessels the laver and his foot the hangings of the court his pillars and his sockets and the hanging for the court gate his cords and his pins and all the vessels of the service of the tabernacle for the tent of the congregation the cloths of service to do service in the holy place and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and his son's garments to minister in the priest's office according to all that Yahweh commanded Moses. So the children of Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as Yahweh had commanded. Even so had they done it, and Moses blessed them. End of chapter 39. Okay, chapter 40. Moving right along. Chapter 40. And Yahweh spoke spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony, and cover the ark with the veil. And thou shalt bring in the table, and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick, and light the lamps thereof. And thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony, and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. And thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar, and shalt put water therein. And thou shalt set up the court round about, and hang up the hanging at the court gate. And thou shalt take the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle, and all that is therein, and shalt hollow it, and all the vessels thereof, and it shall be holy." And thou shalt anoint the altar of the burnt offering, and all his vessels, and sanctify the altar, and it shall be an altar most holy. And thou shalt anoint the laver and his foot, and sanctify it. And thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and wash them with water. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments, and anoint him, and sanctify him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt bring his sons, and clothe them with coats. And thou shalt anoint them, as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Thus did Moses, according to all that Yahweh commanded him, so did he. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. And Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put in the bars thereof and reared up his pillars. And he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent above above upon it as Yahweh commanded Moses. And he took and put the testimony into the ark and set the staves on the ark and put the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark unto the tabernacle and set up the veil of the covering, and covered the ark of the testimony, as Yahweh commanded Moses. Uh, let me go back to verse 17. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, 
on the first day of the month, which would be the spring equinox, that the tabernacle was reared up. So they timed all of this for the very first new year of the second year. (laughs) Okay, for the very first Sabbath of the second year. Back to you. All right, verse 22. And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northward without the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before Yahweh, as Yahweh had commanded Moses. And he put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward. And he lighted the lamps before Yahweh, as Yahweh commanded Moses. And he put the golden altar in the tent of the congregation before the veil. And he burnt sweet incense thereon, as Yahweh commanded Moses. And he set up the hanging at the door of the tabernacle. And he put the altar of burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and offered upon it the burning the burnt offering and the meat offering as Yahweh commanded Moses. And he set the labor between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water there to wash withal. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat. When they went into the tent of the congregation, and when they came near unto the altar, they they washed as Yahweh commanded Moses. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode thereon. And the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from above, from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. Now remember, Moses was in the presence of Yahweh uh, at Mount Sinai, right? But now Mm -hmm. because he uh, cast the tables in anger and broke them, (laughs) he is no longer permitted to be in the presence of Yahweh. How about that? So that's why he's no longer permitted. Is because Probably, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. He also got in trouble at the end there for striking the rock at Meribah two times. Right, yeah. supposed to do it. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. If, if Yahweh says once, you do it once, yeah. Not, yeah. not twice. <laughs> he okay. means what he says. Yeah, that's mean. right, yeah. <laughs> Read my lips. <laughs> Read my lips. Okay. <laughs> Verse 36. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of Yahweh was upon the tabernacle by day, and the fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Okay. That concludes the book of Exodus. Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, so uh, this is... uh... Sturm und Drang, you know, great displays of might, power, uh, light, thunder, lightning, etc., etc., by Yahweh for the people of Israel. I guess they really needed that kind of display to believe, right? Because uh, they had come from the pagan tradition of Egypt, where yeah, I've uh, studied a lot of the pagan rituals in Egypt and uh, uh, Rome and Greece, and they... The temples they built had a lot of uh, gimmicks and gadgets in them to strike awe into the people when they hear, like, echo chambers and uh, people 
uh, underneath uh, speaking in voices that they thought were coming from the statue of the god, right? This is the kind of stuff that people were used to in their Baal worship and other forms of pagan worship. So they were used to having all kinds of you know, uh, uh, displays, right, Th- theatrical displays, but they took them seriously and thought they were real gods, right? And that kind of stuff is still happening today. Okay. Kind of like what we see on TV. That, that's that right. Too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, people pretend you know, like like the uh, uh, what do they call it the uh, the uh, televangelists and their gimmicks, their yeah. onstage gimmicks. Right. I mean, it's still the same, folks. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that type of uh, quote unquote religion still exists even on television. Okay. All right. So I found this article here about the manna and the showbread by Benson C. Saili, This Earth My Brother, whatever, I guess that's a salutation, I don't know. Both these were calibrated versions of the monatomic white powder of of gold, and it mentions the Anunnaki here. Uh, Let's see. The Anunnaki, the Old Testament gods, came to Earth from their planet Nibiru, about 450,000 years ago to prospect for gold. Very interesting. Whether that's uh, true or not, maybe it is. Okay, but uh, what does it have to do with showbread? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, if, if you want to pick it up there, yep. and uh, no. and see, and we'll find out what this uh, gold powder is all about, hopefully. Okay, according to Sumerian records, the first place they searched for this gold was in the Persian Gulf, in the sea. Chroniclers of the Anunnaki saga, including the highly regarded Zechariah Stitchin, have taken it for granted that the gold the Anunnaki, Anunnaki were, pr- were prospecting for in the sea was regular gold, the familiar yellow metal. That, regrettably, is misconceived. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration calculates that there is today about 20 million tons of gold dissolved in all seawater on the planet. Oh, wow. Interesting. But but to extract just one ounce of gold, one will need about 30 million pounds of seawater. We are talking such minuscule quantities that it is hard to even wrap your head around it, says the NOAA. Maybe the quantity of gold in the oceans at the time of the Anunnaki was higher than if we take account of the gold-rich asteroids that hurtle into Earth's seas from time to time. But the extraction ratio must have been the same. Clearly, if it was metallic gold the Anunnaki were looking for, the sea was the wrong place to look. But they did scour the sea for gold all right. This gold, however, was not metallic gold. It was Ormus, monoatomic gold. Okay. The first thing the Anunnaki were concerned about when they touched down on Earth was their well-being health-wise on a foreign planet. The other was their lifespan on a planet with infinitesimally shorter circumsolar or around the sun cycle compared with Nibiru. If they had to guarantee sound health through and through and more or less maintain their life expectancy, they needed Ormus sooner than later. Ormus, as we said last time around, abounds by far much more in the sea than on firm land. It was after they had extracted sufficient quantities of Ormus from the sea that the Anunnaki now decided to set up mining facilities in Africa and embark on the extraction of metallic gold. 
This is the sequence they followed as Sumerian records crystal clearly set out for us. Yeah, and it is indeed the case that uh, there are very ancient mining operations in southern Africa, which uh, local people say that somebody was digging for gold <laughs> in a long, long time ago. So, uh, so far, all this stuff makes sense, presuming that the Anunnaki uh, descended in spaceships, which is what uh, um, uh, Dr. Wesley Swift asserts also. Okay, but uh, these might be uh, separate beings from the fallen ones in Genesis chapter 6. It might be a whole different set of critters, right? Uh, So we'll see. By the way, uh, I I have to report this. Uh, Somebody, I don't know if it's a joke or not, probably is a joke, but somebody sent uh, a batch of lizard saliva to 23andMe, the DNA research uh, project. And the report is, it was 51% uh, Ashkenazi Jew. Or maybe it's Anunnaki Jew. <laughs> Anunnaki Jew. Yeah, right? <laughs> okay. That's a good that, one. That makes sense to me. <laughs> All right. Okay. The gold the Anunnaki came to obtain from Earth, Sumerian records inform us, was lofted into the upper reaches of their planet's atmosphere with a view to seal the ozone hole. But that was simply one of the purposes for which it was used. A proportion of any element that is suspended in the stratosphere is certain to fall back on the surface of the planet as a component of rain. That was the case with Nibiru. The planet's golden rain bathed the herbs, plants, grass, fruits, and crops, and all the dissolved monoatomic gold was therefore absorbed and chemically retained. When the Anunnaki fed on these fruits and crops and on the meaty animals that fed on the planet's flora, or when they, the Anunnaki, partook of naturally grown herbs or herbal products, they automatically absorbed the monoatomic gold, the ormus, they contained. That way, their lives were practically infinitely prolonged by the ormus, which has anti-aging properties and is innately medicinal across every ailment. In the Sumerian records, the Anunnaki are sometimes referred to as the shining ones. To most pundits, this is to taken to be an allusion to their skin color, which is said to have been albino white. But this is only partly true. Let us once again recognize that the Anunnaki were not a monolithic race. They came in different shades. Some of the Anunnaki were dark-skinned, the Olmecs, who civilized Mesoamerica and much of Asia, being a case in point. The Anunnaki, who were light-skinned through and through, were so-called Elohim, the ruling pantheon and their clan, who included Enkai and Enlil. It is the light-skinned Anunnaki who predominated, but they were not the only members of the Anunnaki race. If the Anunnaki came in every hue, why were they called the Shining Ones? Once again, this had to do with the consumption of Ormus, the monoatomic white powder of gold. Maybe we should take a moment to familiarize with a part of the physics of the human body. We humans are electrical beings. We generate electricity and are powered by electricity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, the word uh, nachash, in uh, the more deeper um, understanding of the word of Brown, Driver, Briggs, and others, say it also it, it means you know, a quote-unquote serpent or whisperer, deceiver, enchanter, but it also means to shine like brass. Okay. So, so was Eve 
confronted with a being that had this shining uh, face, shine like brass, a, a white uh, Anunnaki whose face shone with a yellow kind of color because of the gold that he is consuming? Could be. Mm-hmm. Back to you. Yep. Do you know what the doctors measure to declare a person dead? It is electricity. When they cannot detect electrical activity in the body using their sophisticated biomedical technology, they pronounce the person dead. Electricity allows our nervous system, which permeates every part of the body, to send signals to our brain. These signals are actually electrical impulses that are delivered from cell to cell, allowing for nearly instantaneous communication. When the body electricity is at its optimum, a person will be at his optimum health. Okay. Now, our bodies are rarely at optimal health because electricity does not flow at its superlative speed owing to innate imperfections in the way we're constituted. The cells in our body do communicate with each other, just like we do as beings. This Mm -hmm. intercellular communication is achieved by what is known as superconductivity, the transportation of electricity from one cell to another without resistance Mm. at the speed of sound. When an atom is superconducting, it no longer behaves like an ordinary cell. It behaves like light or a source of light. When Ormus is ingested in sufficient quantities, it increases the superconductivity of the cells by a factor of 10,000. Wow. When that happens, the person will shine like the sun. Okay, shine like brass. (laughs) There we Mm -hmm. go. Okay, why don't you drop down to showbread, the priestly Ormus. Uh, I think this is – that's very interesting. What you just read, but this is the showbread that the priests were eating. Okay, so if you drop down to that section. Okay. In antiquity, gold was known as the metal of the gods, the Anunnaki. It is therefore not surprising that gold, both the metallic type and the monoatomic variety, had a connotation and symbolism in the Bible that had divine undertones. A prominent personage is a prominent personage. In In the Pentateuch is one Bezalel. Okay. Let me look up his name again. Uh, That might, uh, I wonder if that's a reference to uh, gold. Please continue. Just read it. Yeah. Bezalel was the most skilled goldsmith of the day. Uh As such, he was the chief artisan of the tabernacle, a portable temple the Israelites used during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness under Moses. As was and was tasked to build the iconic Ark of the Covenant. Exodus chapter 39, verses 32 through 41, sets out comprehensively the contents, components, and constituents of the tabernacle. Of these, the most enigmatic was an item known as the bread of the presence. In other sections, it is referred to as showbread, or, intriguingly, meat. What was showbread? Showbread consisted of 12 disc-shaped cakes, each representing a tribe of Israel, Uh that were placed on a golden table in the tabernacle in the holy place, which was in front of the Holy of Holies, the most sacred precinct of the tabernacle. It was called showbread. Show is the archaic form of show, or S-H-E-W is the archaic form of S-H-O-W, because it was meant to be symbolically shown off to the imaginary presence of God. Hence, its other name, the bread of presence, in an imaginary picture of God's willingness to fellowship with his people. The fact that it was not ordinary bread is hinted by the person who prepared it. 
It was Bezalel, a master craftsman of copper, silver, and gold. Certainly, if it were made from ordinary flour, it would not have required preparation by a master metallurgist. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> in okay. Preparing, yeah. In preparing the showbread, Bezalel worked with Kohathite priests. Only one of them, one of the three main divisions of the Levite priests, and no others. Okay. All right. So, with uh, only uh, under two minutes left, so uh, the showbread was monoatomic gold, which is comes in a powdered form, okay? So I guess they have to heat the gold to a higher temperature than where it metal, uh, sorry, where it melts. And if they keep on heating, it eventually turns into a golden powder, which uh, is apparently just as indestructible as solid gold, okay? But it's a, a very, very fine powder, which apparently the priests blended in with the bread dough, but only the priests were allowed to eat it. Okay. Hey, hey, Dan, uh, get me mm-hmm. some of this stuff. Yeah, I want some too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it'll heal all my aches and pains. All right. Okay, I folks. Bread. I don't right, right. So, bread. but the background story on this article was uh, more interesting than I, I thought it would be. Uh, mm-hmm. But they finally, this this is the showbread of the Bible, folks. It's monoatomic gold. Wow. As we used to say in the '60s, gas that. <laughs> All right, folks. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. We're done with the Book of Exodus. Take care. We'll start Leviticus next week. Oh See man. Yeah. Bye bye. What? <laughs>